let's welcome everybody out today to episode 33 of Utah in the Weeds. Wow, 33. Yeah, and we're recording at Tim's office here today. UtahMarijuana.org headquarters. That's how it's listed on Google. Is that really? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's our clinic, you know, our clinic too, but we... You know, you got to have a headquarters. Uh, yeah, headquarters sounds great. Right? And, and that's the voice of Don Emery. She's joining us on uh, today's episode. We're going to get into uh, deep into the cannabis law. Uh, she's yes. going to join us uh, for that and and talk to us about some uh, what she's doing. And it's I'm I'm excited to chat with her because we've only chatted with one other lawyer I think on the podcast, right. JD. Yeah, and since then there's been just a bunch more questions about it. And and we get a ton of legal questions from patients. Awesome. So it'll be fun to to talk through some of those maybe. Let's I want to start right off. I mean, what even got you interested to work with cannabis? I mean, cuz it's not I like I talk to people, I say it's not something that is a normal thing for people to want, to, especially in the legal field, right? Like it would seem like it would be so much easier to get involved with other things besides cannabis law. Why did you decide to go that direction? So in order for me to answer that, I have to do a little background. So I was a prosecutor for 12 years. I spent six and a half or five and a half years in um, the city prosecutor's office and then another five and a half years, six years in the DA's office. And so I came across marijuana all the time. And early in my career, I was like, well, that's that's horrible. That's terrible. What are you doing? You need to go to jail. And then as I progressed in it and saw people that really needed it and that it did have a purpose, my mindset changed. Instead of putting everyone in jail that did it, there were treatment options and there were other things to do. And it got to the point where the only people that I really felt like I had to go after were the traffickers. So, you know, so if you're riding down and you've got, uh, at the time, a hundred pounds of marijuana in your car that is destined for something other than uh, a legal outlet for that, then those are the people that needed to be prosecuted. But people that were using it for a medical purpose that really needed the help, the world was looking at that inappropriately, right? Like the world was looking at it from a punishment perspective without really knowing much about it. Yeah. So I started looking into what is this? What is this marijuana all about? Why are some people so against it? And why are some people so for it? So I started just doing a little research on my own. Um, After I left the DA's office, I found this program at McGeorge um, School of Law. It's in San Francisco. And California is kind of the trailblazers. They have been doing this for a while. So they have a lot of the case law already out there. They've been making case law for quite some time. So I um, decided I wanted to take this certificate program and really learn about it and find out um, more about what was the problem with it and what are the pros and cons. Is this during your time as a DA? Nope. This was after. This was after. Yeah. I don't know that it would have gone over as well (laughs) (laughs) when I was a DA because even no matter how you feel about it, you have to follow the law. And that's what the law was. Um, So I started taking these classes and they're all online. So it was um, wonderful for me to be able to do. They have several different areas. So one is the foundations of cannabis. So you really get into the weeds on what's the history of it. How did it progress from being out there and open in society to 1937 to where we are now? Um, So they go through all of the history of that and the comparisons to prohibition and how that worked or didn't work um, in that situation. Then you study banking, you study business, you study constitutional issues, property issues, uh, marketing. So all of that. And the more I got into it, the more I was like, this is really an area that people need help with. Um, And they're going to, these are exactly the people that need lawyers, right? Which to my surprise, in studying some of the ethics, there are states that will not allow lawyers to help uh, marijuana businesses. Currently. mm -hmm, The state bars in those states have decided that if you help someone with their marijuana business, you are subject to discipline by the bar. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So, which was funny because when you look at at some of those ethics, when they've gone back and forth and trying to decide what the bar will do, 
they even said that the proponents of it are like, these are the people that need the help. You can't ask someone to start a dispensary and then say, guess what? You don't get any help with your contracts. You don't get any help with your leases. Right. You these ask- are in states where they have potentially medical programs Correct. that businesses have come into. They need to open a pharmacy or a dispensary there. Correct. And they have no ability to get inside state help Correct. with the people who would know the law or the statute the best. Right. Oh, wow. That's too bad. Right. I did not know that. Currently, Utah does not have a legal opinion on it, so we're going to keep that on the down low. Um, Do you feel like the bar – is it the bar association in Utah? Is yes. that how I would describe it? So, so right. Do you the feel Utah like bar, they're, the they're bar. pro, they're anti, they're, they're just – what do you feel like their stance is on this? At this point, I think they would be pretty pro. Um, the Utah bar actually does have a cannabis law section, uh, which is very promising – like you said, uh, JD is in there and there are actually, I think, 10 or 11 attorneys in there um, on a regular basis. So to me, that's promising that they're willing to have a section dedicated solely to cannabis law. I think it is becoming more mainstream in the legal world because if you go to some of the legal sites, so in the legal world, there's a site called Avo and that site rates attorneys based on their ratings, their reviews, how long they've been in business. um, And then you can The more work you put out, you can earn more points towards a better rating. They actually have, you can pick as your specialty cannabis law. Oh, wow. So it's getting more mainstream. And I think it's because people realize these are the people that need the help. They're just like any other business. They have a right to ask those questions and they have a right to seek legal counsel when they're faced with those uh, issues. Sure. Absolutely. What's the process like? So you went to this school in California, is online school. How long did that take? For you to like, how long did those classes take for it, you to? T- it took about six months, okay. and it's over two hundred hours of instruction. So you are watching videos, you are reading, you are looking at case law, mostly from California, but from some other places um, oh. too. So you're looking at case law on the different issues, which is wildly exciting when you look at the differences between California and um, Massachusetts, for instance. Um, different parts of the country treat things a little bit differently, but how they approach it um, is fascinating to learn. But how do you, I mean, laws are always changing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it seems like almost daily. I mean, just we'll, we're going to get into it just last night with the voting going on and everything, uh, a bunch of new states just legalized. So, I mean, obviously laws are changing. So how do you stay up on that? How did you, how do you even learn about laws if they're changing? Like at with the school? How, how do they? So there are a couple different ways. Um, the school was really good about updating people yeah. on that and saying, you know, please watch this. This is going to be um, coming down the pike. A lot of the services like, um, I don't want to say the names, but sure, the sure. researching services that attorneys use, you can set an alert. So um, I could set an alert on this researching program that say, hey, anytime a case comes up that deals with marijuana, please send me um, right. that information. And so just like that, you would keep it like that. Um, A lot of online searches are really, really helpful to find out what's going on in different jurisdictions. There are a lot of websites actually now dedicated to mapping out for you what the laws are in the different states. Um, So yeah, lots of ways to find it out and keep keep abreast of that. But they actually have a book now, which is super exciting. It's called Marijuana Law. There's actually a case book, just like there would be on water law or gaming law. There's actually a book now on marijuana law. And one of the professors at McGeorge actually wrote that book. So I see. Yeah. So then you took that knowledge and explain what you're doing here in the, in the cannabis space in Utah. So I started Utah Cannabis Advocates and what I'm really geared towards helping those businesses, um, individual businesses, if they have questions about regulations or they want someone to review their contracts, um, if they have commercial contracts that they want reviewed because people will charge them um, or can potentially charge them more because there's still that threat that the landlord could have his property taken away by the government. So there are ways to counteract those things. So that's what I'm trying to um, work with those businesses. Cannabis businesses, sorry to interrupt you. Mm -hmm. Cannabis businesses, meaning anybody in the hemp space as Mm -hmm. well, because that would, I mean, that really is a Uh, We've talked to two farms, you know, where that seems to be a big issue. Yes. Where to lease space, how to get their permitting process. Is it primarily growers or, I mean, do you even deal with CBD shops? Uh, Yes. So I'm I'm an equal opportunity cannabis lawyer, so I don't 
I don't uh, exclude anybody. Um, I will say I don't do a lot of cannabis criminal law just because that, you know, a ton of defense attorneys out there that can do that work. If it's a unique case where I think there might be some cha- some unique challenges that we can make, I will take those on. But for the most part, I try and stick with the businesses um, because that's where I think I can do the most good and make the most change. So you probably haven't dealt with a ton of like medical cannabis patients then in Utah. Like, cause I, I hear some stories occasionally of uh, just even some of the local law enforcement hassling some of the medical patients that are legal. And it's right. like, I'm wondering what, I mean, would they, would they have to come to a lawyer like you for that? If they, they don't if, have to necessarily yeah. come to a lawyer like me, but it would be helpful too if they were a medical cannabis patient and they were dealing with some legal problems. Yes. So I do tell the clinics if they refer someone to me, I will give that person a discount. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's a medical marijuana sure. issue like that, that's a criminal issue. But I will say there are some really fabulous defense attorneys out there that have also kind of carved out this niche of cannabis criminal defense that are really up to speed on the rules and laws concerning when you have a medical marijuana card. So there's no need to come to me specifically, although I like the work, yeah. uh, but there are several really good uh, attorneys that do that type of work too. So back, I'm kind of, I want to go back just a little bit. When you were studying, when you got first introduced to cannabis and you're like, maybe I want to focus a little bit on that. And you heard people refer to it as medicine and you heard people, you know, all this, and you're, you're, you're putting people in jail for this. Did you just think they were full of crap when they said it was medicine? Because I, I hear that from a lot of people, especially yeah, I hear you know, that all the time. They they use the word, oh, you're just using the word medicinal to anything you can do to, you know, keep your habit alive. You know, it's just a dirty drug. Like, did you feel did, that way back then? And then you changed your mindset with it? Like, I, to I actually, have to be honest. Yeah. When I was a prosecutor, I, yeah, I didn't understand. You really it. Just I, thought they were full of crap. Yeah. I Well, I lumped it in with all the other drugs, right? I was like, okay, well, you're just part of that crowd that's doing all these other things. And this is just your introduction, right? Like you're going to do marijuana this month and the next month you're going to do cocaine and you'll just work your way up. So you thought right. it was a gateway? Schedule one, oh, yeah. Gateway. Oh, yeah. And that, is the that what they're teaching story. lawyers? Do they teach? Are they yeah. Is that what you learned legal? in school? Because that's, I mean, essentially that's what we learned in medical school, right? Is that there was no, there's no medicinal value to it. It's schedule one. It is what it is, you know? No, in law school, it was never mentioned. Um, when I went to law school, it was never mentioned at all. And I went to wash, I went to a law school in Washington state, which was um, yeah, very liberal. Wow. Great. Yeah. Right. And they never mentioned it. What I got, where I got my knowledge was on the job. It was talking to the police. It was talking to the narcotics detectives, which you learn uh, the farther you get in your career, that how prosecutors look at cases and how police officers look at cases is very different. Um, the police officers have a different objective than the lawyers do. So in the beginning, when you're listening to that go on, you're like, oh, well, I'm a new baby prosecutor. This officer has been doing it forever. He must know what he's talking about. And they do, but their objective is very different. So as you get into it a little more and you realize it does have a purpose, it does have um, value, then that's when that starts changing your mindset. And that was huge for me in taking the classes and actually learning that they it is there is actually a drug on the market. Marinol is on the market. Yeah, already. Already. Been on the market for a long, long time. Right? So for all these people who are like, oh, this is a new thing. It's not a new thing. It's been out there for a while. And what really lit the fire under me was the fact that we need more research, right? So when they're arguing, there's two ways to deschedule it. Mm-hmm. One way is through the Department of Health and Human Services, right? And convincing them that it has value and that it has a medicinal purpose. The other way is through the legislature and having them just vote to change to deschedule it and take it. Do you think it would be reasonable to, to put it without the legislature? It just doesn't seem reasonable to me that, that the government decides on a regulatory uh, rule change without the legislature at this point. No. And that was probably eight hours worth of studying on just that issue and detailing all of the cases that they've had where they've tried to go up that chain of the Department of Health and Human Services. And their biggest thing is you don't have any proof that as a medicine, it works. Well, here's the kicker. The government holds the marijuana plant that you can do the research from. And the government decides who gets access to that plant to do the research. And the government only lets so many people 
right now, very few have access to that. So they and the, want- And what access they have is pretty limited compared to the research they're doing in other countries, right? Like, right. Okay. So they want proof, but they're not allowing people to do the work to get that proof. So that makes me really upset because this is the empirical data that you need, but you're not allowing us to provide provide that data to you. And the long-term studies, I think, are really what's going to help. It's not the short-term, can it fix, you know, I broke my back and now I feel better because I've been taking CBD mm. or I, I've been smoking marijuana and now it's overnight better. Those, I think, are the anecdotal stories that are very powerful, but not to the Department of Health and Human Services, right? They want something where you can say, this person with seizures has been taking it for 15 years and they haven't had a seizure in the last 15 years. That's what I think proves it's worth. But until they get access to that marijuana to, to do those studies on people, it's very hard to, to approach the regulatory side of it. So how do we get there? <laughs> What's so the- I, I think it's very promising that um, five states overnight, yeah. Yeah. seemingly overnight, have legalized it because I think that's changing the mindset. So you actually have senators and representatives now who are not viewing it as the demon weed, right? They're viewing it as something that has value medicinally. So from that standpoint, if you can get the legislature to all vote to deschedule it, that's going to come, I think, much sooner than the Health and Human Services because they want the empirical data where legislators can look and say, you know what, I have a state like Washington that's very liberal and these are the issues that you think you have and this is how we're dealing with those issues. So those people can talk, the senators and the congressmen from Washington talk to other senators and congressmen who have the same of those anecdotal stories where they can reach out and say, I've talked to constituents in my state and I know that this is ne- this is a necessity. You don't have to provide me, congressman, with the empirical data because I've seen it. I've been out there and I've talked to people and I've right, seen and it. Right, and they have safety data as well. I mean, they that's that I think is the, the – that's one of the big benefits of having state medical programs, don't you think, is that now we're getting all of the safety data – so whether or not we're getting specific data that this dose helps for this condition in this patient that weighs this many kilograms, we know that for all of the users or all the purchases in the state, this is how many ER visits we've had increase. This is how many deaths we've had. This is how, and that I think is as powerful, if not more for the legislature, besides the revenue right? to get this done, right? What five states, oh, we were talking about this earlier. Yeah. Um, I Arizona know. went adult use. Yeah, Arizona. I know that. Montana. Did it Montana go adult use? Monta- uh, uh, New Jersey. New Jersey and South Dakota. Yeah. South Dakota, New Jersey, Montana, Arizona. There was another one that I can't remember, right? But that, and it was a medical program. I think they yeah. changed the medical program in that state. And I know Oregon did some decriminalization of, of all drugs. Um, yes. And just to let listeners know that are listening to this. This is being recorded like a day after the voting, uh, November 3rd. So this is November 4th at this recording. So obviously even we're still uncertain of who the president's going to be, you know? So when when this episode goes up, hopefully we all know. Yeah, we don't know, right? right? We don't know what's... So just to let people know kind of of, of what's going on. But uh, it's pretty cool, these states. I wish that Utah would have had something on the ballot this time around. Well, I... I think where we are in Utah is probably very progressive, sure. right, for Utah. So I think it will come eventually, um, especially given that the surrounding states are very um, liberal on that. If for nothing else, that at some point, states are going to have to be able to participate in interstate commerce, right? So if someone is growing and extracting in Nevada and they want to share that technology or share that product with someone in Colorado, you have to drive across Utah to do that or you go up and around right now. So at some point you would think, but for nothing else for that money issue that someone's going to say, look, I need to be able to cross the state of Utah to work my business, to sell my product. So please don't restrict me from interstate commerce merely because of that. And right now they're restricted, right? Right. You could not drive through Utah with you know, and if you did, of- and if you did drive through Utah, you'd have to either take all of your cash because you can't keep your cash in a bank. And I mean, this is the other issue is the banking. And we just, um, you know, we, we recorded with uh, premium hemp growers and, and they don't have a bank. 
You know, they're uh, and the see, banking that is really issue difficult. and the security issue. I think are also going to force legislators in the different states and hopefully federally to see that you're basically creating a business at risk. You're creating a business that deals in cash and a controlled substance that people are going to want the cash and people are going to want the controlled substance. And there are fixes. There are easy fixes to that, right? If you allow me to put my money in the bank, then people are not going to want to rob me for my money. Um, I can still have a security force to protect my grow, but I don't. I shouldn't have to work that hard to protect my money. Is Utah doing anything progressive in this front? Because we we understand like Utah First Credit Union, and there's there's some movement on the banking issue with credit unions in Utah. I don't know specifically, but I know in general, if you can find a bank that is not federally insured, as such, it might be. Those are the ones would be like the credit unions, smaller places like that. They will actually allow you to deposit their money because they're not violating any federal statute by doing that. So I don't know specifically in Utah, but I think it's definitely coming. Essentially, what you're saying is if you're federally insured, then the bank would take a risk at putting the money in there. Correct. Now, do some banks do that and take the risk anyway? I don't know of any personally, um, but I know smaller credit unions that are not federally insured are taking- We'll take, we'll take we'll, the we'll funds. We'll take the funds. Oh, wow. Interesting. This What's amazing really is my husband and I were talking, why have not the um, businesses gotten together and started their own co-op, their own building and loan? Because mm-hmm. that would be allowed, right? If they all got together and they could all be their own, their own bank, essentially. Correct. So why haven't they done that? I don't know. I think right now it's a little disjointed in that I think it's so new in some places that there are still a lot of businesses that felt like, I'm going to get into this and this is going to be great and I'm going to grow all this marijuana and I'm going to be super rich and I get to keep all the money. And then I think they got into it and realized, oh, geez, there's some water laws, there's some air regulations, there's disposal regulations. I got to have a license to move it. I got to have a license to sell it. I got to have a license to grow it. Maybe I need a patent. And so I think you're going to see what emerges from that will be the people that are truly dedicated to it. They're not in it for the get rich quick, but they're truly dedicated. And when we get there, and I think we're really, really close to having that population that's truly dedicated, then I think we can talk to them and say, look, let's let's get together and start a co-op or a building and loan so that we don't have to worry about handling cash. Now, would decriminalization solve a lot of these problems? With banking and and traveling across state lines and stuff like that, because I know there's certain talks of decriminalization of cannabis versus legalization, which are are different. A lot of people don't realize there's a difference there, but wouldn't decriminalization help the movement? I don't believe so, because right now what prevents those banks from taking the money is that threat of the federal insurance. So decriminalization would still, it wouldn't take away the federal part of it. So it has to part. So it's a two part. But I mean, this is a multi-part problem. Oh, right. And we've talked about it before a little yeah. bit, now, but it just gets, I mean, it kind of gets confusing for me to follow along. Yeah. Like what is what? Because I mean, we deal with more simple questions like, can I own a gun and, and have a medical card? Right. Which, yeah, there's a gray, it's, it's a really gray <laughs> area, right? Well, you can't go to Cabela's and fill out the ATF form without breaking federal law, but you could go to the gun show and buy a gun and have a card and that's okay. But this this interstate commerce and moving product from one state to the other or brand, you know, cookies is a brand that's in California and they want to come here, but you can't bring their product here. You just have to make it here. And it's it's inconsistent with the way I think people understand commerce in the U.S. Well, when you think about it, it's really an unfair restriction on one type of business, right? Because you have multi uh, – a lot of – um companies that make controlled substances, right? You have big right. pharma out there that is making eight different versions of Lortab and eight different versions of um, Percocet. Percocet, yeah. And they're crossing state lines. And line. they're crossing <laughs> state lines, <laughs> right? And right. Right. And, and they have a, the, but they have a very good system of regulation in that right. too, which is an opportunity for revenue for the government, is an opportunity to get involved in all of this. This the what about regulation? Um I think uh, I've talked about this before. I don't know if I've talked about it on the podcast, but I have this idea that when we decriminalize it, that we're actually going to get more regulation from the federal government. Because right now, I'm not sure the federal government can regulate me in my clinic as much as they would want to, like at the hospital I came from. So 
I'm building this, you know, IT system and HIPAA compliance with anticipation. Do you feel like that's that's the right way to do it? Do you think we'll have more regulation when we have decriminalization? I think you're going to have to because I think the only way that you're going to get away from what we have now in the restrictions is that issue that you talked about before, that safety issue. You have to be able to prove to people that it's going to be safe, that it's not going to leak over into the black market, and that what they're doing, they can feel good about. And just like controlled substances, just like big pharma, that safety comes from knowing that a doctor can only give out so many and that each person that's prescribing Percocet has a license that we can track. And then you take it to the pharmacy and the pharmacy tracks it. And then someone at Doppel tracks, you know, how many how many prescriptions you got that month. So those checks and balances make people feel better, more safe about what they're doing. And then the regulations on the individual businesses that are making those, the fact that you have quality control, right? That makes people feel better that when I'm getting Percocet from here versus ordering it from Mexico, that I'm actually getting what I paid for, right? Right. Yeah. This It makes total sense from being a medical provider and understanding that like how we were taught in school and the the benefits of some regulation i get it we none of us want the government in, in intruding in our life but regulation is important especially with products that are that can be unsafe and i'm not saying that marijuana is i'm not saying it's an unsafe substance but it certainly can be you know there's Everybody puts under the rug that there's, you know, psychosis and overuse can cause really bad paranoid attacks. And there's some there's some serious risks with associated with a lot of cannabis use. And, you know, 100 pounds of weed in my car that nobody nobody thinks that's a good idea. You don't have, just to let people know yeah, you don't people, no, you don't I do have. not have 100. Yeah, I do not care. Yeah. Of course not. And and I would want regulation for that. But how do we how do we go to that point? What's next? I think just keeping on the same track that we're on, um, using those seed to sale procedures, monitoring it, following the regulations that we have and showing people that there is there is a safety to it. Like this is not a free for all. Um, even the recreational people, I don't think want a free for all. No. Right? They they want to know that the stuff they're getting is good to take out to the picnic and and have some fun with, right? Nobody wants bad marijuana by any means. So I think just following that that same track and keeping the safety um, regulations in place and then education, really. I joke with my husband again about my kiddos. I have two little boys, that one's 11, one's 13, and I think they know mar- more about marijuana than I did even five years ago. But it's a conversation that we have in our home and we give them the facts and we let them decide, you know, this is what it is. How do you feel about it? But having those conversations is very important. And I don't think people are doing that, right? People are still very, this is what we're going to think about it. We're not going to think anything else about it. Overnight, too, with the election, uh, I can't remember what state, but there is one state that just elected a 25-year-old to Congress. Oh, he wow. will be the youngest congressman um, ever, ever to serve. So that's very encouraging too, right? Because 25-year-olds have grown up with this different paradigm. They didn't grow up thinking it was a demon weed and a horrible thing. They've grown up with the knowledge that it has a purpose, that it has a, a medicinal purpose, which I think is one of the hard things, right? Because like with my mom, when I introduced her to CBD, you know, for months and months before that, she was like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'll end up an addict oh, right. and this will be terrible. And, you know, then I'll have a drug test at work and, you know, off off the charts, um, my poor little 80-year-old mom, I introduced her to it and it works. And she's like, okay, it really wasn't that bad. And, <laughs> um, but, you know, you have an entire population. If you look at the president who's been elected or who hasn't been elected, they're older gentlemen, right? They mm-hmm. grew up in that time period of knowing this is their starting point is marijuana is bad. Whereas now the generations are marijuana might very well have a purpose. It's the reefer madness generation. Right, yeah. right. right. Yeah. I love the, And I think I you have to posters. be able to tell kids too, like we've told our kids, you don't necessarily have to smoke marijuana, right? That's that's a choice that you can make. It has a medicinal purpose, but that that's a choice that you that right. you get to make. You get to decide where where its purpose lies versus other generations where it was like, nope, nope, nope. 
Yeah, it's just nothing but bad. It's just nothing but bad. But it's the same thing. You know, you even ibuprofen in the in the drawer, when your kids go through the medicine drawer, you're like, stay away from that. That's medicine. I, I just feel like it should be treated right. as the same thing. Yep. Stay away from that. That's medicine. But you see, oh, sorry. You oh, no, see, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. You sorry. see so many people now, too, that have um, the opioid crisis. I think kids are very aware that that is out there, right? And that you shouldn't share your own meds, right? Yeah. If you're a little boy on ADHD, you don't take those drugs to school and sell them, right? You wouldn't because one, it's illegal and two, it's a medicine that has a purpose. So like you said, same thing with marijuana. It has to get to that point where it legitimately has a purpose and people see it that way. And almost like an opioid, say it has a purpose and it can be prescribed. Will people abuse it? Certainly. Just like anything else, just anything like else, alcohol, yeah. just like speeding, just like prescription jugs. People will- Clothes shopping. <laughs> right? Right? There are shopaholics. Yeah. I mean, anything is given to overindulgence, yeah. but it's not the item that does it. It's the person. Well, that's what I was going to say is, is a lot of it is is what we're educating our kids in our homes. You were mentioning like ibuprofen and Tylenol. I mean, I grew up in a very health conscious home where my mom thought that was bad. So I kind of grew up with this negative, like, oh, I shouldn't take, you know, Advil or Tylenol, you know, except for these really specific uh, circumstances. And I think it needs to be the same way with with cannabis and and all of that, where it's like, let's teach our children that this could be good for these reasons. It doesn't have to be a bad thing because I think if we're teaching them that it's a bad thing, then they're going to go want to do it with their buddies and they're going to want to not understand how to do it and not that they would overdose from it, but you know, I mean, I don't know. Well, kids no, also have an advantage now too, because I think kids are more health conscious, Sure, right? They, they realize McDonald's is bad and salads are good. Um, but beyond that, they realize I can get a lot of the benefits that I need from what's around me, right? Like I can, I don't have to take a sleeping pill. I can find something in nature. If you have an iron deficiency, there are foods you can eat that meet that iron deficiency, um, if you want vitamin C, you know, that there are now more health, health conscious ways to do that. So I think our kids now are, that's their paradigm is exactly, it is, it doesn't have to be a drug. It doesn't have to be something that you give like your health consciousness takes over. And I don't know how it is for you, but don't you find that you were lied to about marijuana and cannabis and all that? You wonder what else was I lied to about? I uh, know. Was I, I lied like to about all these thing. other drugs? I know. What I'm lied to about the coin shortage. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> what are you talking about? I have a piggy bank at home, you know? Right. So um, it sounds like from the education piece is kind of the key. Oh. And it sounds to me like your role in this is educating businesses. Yes. Right. Well, more than individuals, but really your your niche is in this this world of, hey, you know what? It's not, it's okay to get into a, the business of cannabis. It's okay. We can help. Right. So I have a personal mantra. It's educate, elevate, and advocate. So educate your clients on what's important. And when you're looking at that commercial contract with the cannabis lens, what's important? What do you need to protect yourself with? That's where the attorney part comes in because I can look at that document and say, this is not actually providing you the protection that you need, but we can fix that. We can add that in. And what I try and do in that piece too is tell businesses, I know you might think it's expensive, but if you pay me $1,500 now to review that contract and you don't get sued down the line, you just saved yourself fifty dollars to $100,000 because you don't have to argue about what we could have protected you with here. So that proactive piece, advocate. I advocate for um, my clients. Um, I'm hoping to get into some lobbying and be able to hopefully talk with some of the newly elected congressmen and senators and tell them, hey, this is what's coming up. You need to watch these issues for your constituency. And then elevate. I really want to bring people up from where they are and say, yeah, you can do this and you're going to be successful at this. We can help you be successful. Um, and there's a place for everybody in the cannabis space. Yeah, I think that's um, that's important because I see a lot of people who don't they they have a skill or they have something to produce in the space but they they just don't want to do it because they they think the barriers are too high um the the legal challenges are just they can't overcome those the banking all these sort of things so in those cases coming to talk to somebody like you is really a good first step for somebody it, worth yes. worth the money worth yes. the consultation yes you know, have a good business plan, come in and talk to me about that. 
Tell me where your worries are. That's what I really like in transitioning out of being a prosecutor into being a private counsel is now I can have those long-term relationships with people. So I like getting in on those um, ground floor with people and saying, okay, this is what I'm trying to do. I'm starting a wellness center. Um, how can you help me? So that in six months time, if something happens, they can call me and say, Hey, do you remember me? I'm yes, of course I remember you. Well, now this happened. How do we fix it? No problem. And right. the unique thing that I like too in this business is there are some known pitfalls, but there are some unknowns. And so trying to anticipate watching the case law, trying to anticipate what do we think might go wrong right? and putting an obstacle in that path so that people don't have to fall over that. Huh. Fascinating. So right now, if we could go back to the the banking issue right now, one of the other things that really makes me upset is cannabis businesses are not allowed to file bankruptcy. What? Right. So you got to make it work. This is, I did not know this. I know they pay more taxes. You got to make it work. (laughs) Tim's like, darn it. I mean, (laughs) it's a good thing. Back to this hundred pounds of cannabis. I mean, it's a good thing I don't have it. (laughs) Well, and, and like you said, you pay more taxes, which again, if you think about it, what we've been talking about is a restriction that no other business has to put up with, right? You can, you can deduct the cost of goods sold and that's it. Where other businesses including big pharma, get tons and tons of tax deductions. And there's no good reason for it other than it's illegal federally. That's that's what they fall back on. But tell me, explain to me why you shouldn't be allowed to deduct your pens and your pencils and your training and right, your, when your everybody mileage, else can. what everybody else gets. Right. You're doing the work. You're You're putting in the time. Your employees are putting in the time. There's absolutely no good reason why you should not be allowed to take those deductions. When you think about it, they're un- the government is unfairly taking more of your money than they would from another business. And the government probably realizes this and they know what they're doing. And then they think, oh, well, let's not decriminalize it yet. Yeah, we're, we're, we're cashing in. We may, we may need a little bit more money. Well, and if you go back to a couple um, minutes past when we were talking about the Department of Health and Human Services, who's their enforcement arm? So, I don't know. Uh, we need to ask an attorney. The DEA. Right. Oh, yes. Is the and DEA going to let go of its no, reins? No, this is a huge revenue. This is a lot of jobs. Right. 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 Well, who else does the DEA go after besides people that are puffing on a cannabis right. joint, you know, a little marijuana? Maybe the Candyman doctor who's handing out like 300, <laughs> yeah, 300 Yeah, 300 a week. And, uh, you know, and those are, but those are fewer and fewer now, those cases. So we need to attack that banking issue and we need to attack this inability to file bankruptcy. So the reason cannabis businesses, this is their main reason why they're not allowed to file bankruptcy is because what happens in a bankruptcy is the trustee takes over your property and the trustee is ta- is now taxed with liquidating your property for you to either pay off your debts or restructure your business. If the trustee had a pharmacy that wanted to go under, the trustee would take over the pharmacy's assets, marijuana, the trustee would then liquidate those assets, i.e. selling marijuana. Because that bankruptcy court is a federal court and it's illegal federally, you are not allowed to file bankruptcy because then that would make the trustee a purveyor of marijuana, which they cannot do because it's illegal federally. Wow. So basically we need to get rid of it federally illegal, even though Tim, like Tim was saying, we don't want to do that though, because then they'll put more restrictions Right. I mean, I don't mind. What do you say? I don't mind the increased restrictions because, you know, for somebody who's doing this in a legitimate way and trying to teach people legitimate medical marijuana, like education, and help them with their their pain and help them feel better, I I don't mind a little regulation because it it keeps my competitors in a fair. We we need a fair marketplace, and I need. Frankly, I get a lot of phone calls. We we get a lot of phone calls of. People that just got their card at a place where, where, whatever, you know, that's not fair to the patient. So increased regulation, but yes, we don't want, we don't, we definitely don't want a lot. Well, yeah, I don't want a ton. I don't. But yeah. the good news is I think in that sense, you're part of, you have a seat at that table, right? The industry has a seat at that table versus what you have now, the DEA, they never come to you and ask you. Hey, oh. how how should we enforce this? What should we go after? Who should we be looking at? So if you deschedule it and allow the individual states and the individual places to make their own rules based on what businesses they have in that jurisdiction, 
you're going to get better regulations. You might get the errant one here and there, but I think you're going to get better regulations designed to belay the worries of whatever the people in that jurisdiction are really worried about. Got it. I, I mean, I can't imagine how much work we all have to do. I think I've I think I've said that before. There's a lot ahead of us. There is a lot ahead of us. But But it's uh, exciting. You know, it's very exciting. And I'm very grateful for the people, the 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 people, the pioneers of uh, in this industry, the people, unfortunately, that kind of had to take a few hits and and, and do a few things. And people like you who worked both sides of the the program, right? You you understand better than I think most attorneys in this space what it is like to be on the other side of the prosecutor. Right. And to, to know what that feels like when you need this, when you need this product. So I really appreciate that you have that experience and then really learned uh, kind of what we didn't know when we were kids. Right. Right. Now you got to educate more attorneys here in Utah, right? Get more of them on our side. Well, and, and not just the attorneys, but the police officers, the prosecutors, the judges, I was in court. This has been Uh, A long time now because it was way before COVID happened, but I had been in court as a defense attorney and I saw um, another friend of mine was up at the podium and telling the judge, well, my judge, my client has a medical marijuana card. And the judge was like, I don't really care. And that was, that was his comment. It's like, I don't care. That's, and this was actually pre-medical card here. um, But still to know that that was his attitude was, I I don't really care. Yeah. Right. So we have to educate them as well and almost deprogram them like me, right? Because for so long, the criminal justice system has thought of it as this demon weed and we got to fight it and we have all these people and we need to fight against all these people. It's been very them against us. So it's not like new, like our kids, right? That come up and go, this is the norm. You have all these people. This has been around for as long as I've been alive. Right. You know, it's just like technology. My kids can pick up you know, an iPad and figure it out in two minutes and do things that I'm like, okay, I'm not even sure how you manage to do that, which is a little frightening. But, you know, my mom can't do the same thing because my mom's like, why isn't it a phone? Why isn't it a typewriter? (laughs) Why do I have to unlearn something to learn something new? But it's going to, you know, it's going to take that. And I think having the research is very, very important and having people follow the rules. You know, you don't want pharmacies out there not following the rules or just or dispensaries not following the rules. You certainly don't want patients not following the rules because then that just feeds into the fear, right? Like, oh, we knew that wouldn't that wasn't going to work. We knew that was going to happen. Sure. But they also need to be educated properly. And I don't think everybody's getting educated properly. No, I think we, you know, we have a lot of work to do in that space. You've got a lot of work to do, it sounds like, in the business space and and the the um, criminal justice space mm. for that education. So it's it's exciting that you're you're here and like there's people working on this. How many people, this might be a tough number to, to answer, how many people do you think at the point of the mountain are there for, for marijuana and cannabis? Do you think a lot of people in prison are, are just in our prison systems that are there for that reason? I think statistically it's probably very high. Yeah. Um, I think in the last few years, the criminal justice system has worked really hard to make sure that those people aren't there. Okay. I think what the problem is, is you might have someone that was smoking marijuana and they go out and steal a car. So they're not at the point of the mountain for smoking marijuana. They're at the point of the mountain for stealing a car. Or they might have a gun on them too. Right. They know, have a gun. Something like that. So it's kind of hard to, to yeah. parse out why they're really there. But I think the state's done a lot of work. And I just like some of the states that legalized it overnight, they also have some new expungement laws, which I think is really exciting for a lot of people. Utah has the clean slate um, law that allows people to get the drug convictions off their record much sooner because that does impact when you go to find a job. It does impact when you go to find housing. So having the decriminalization or legalization along with that expungement piece really helps move people out of the criminal justice world into recovery a little bit faster. And to be good, just upstanding citizens. You know, I think so often I've seen it firsthand, people that have to serve time in prison and then they get out. And like you said, they can't get a job. They can barely even find a place to rent. It's like, how do you turn your life around if you can't even get a break? Right. You know? Right. And doing that all because of cannabis. This is a real tragedy, especially now when so many states have legal programs. Yeah. 
Well, in Oregon, just decriminalized some some major drugs too. So. Yeah, all all drugs, all yeah. all street drugs, from what I understand, hundred dollar mm-hmm. fine. Which a lot of people, you know, I posted it on Facebook, and a lot of people didn't realize they don't realize the difference between decriminalization and legalization. They just think, oh, that's bad. Well, no, this is going to get people their treatment that they need versus just throw them in the jail cell and let them die there. Yeah. It resets the priority or, or the, the training, that imprint of the police that, that we're not here to take these people to jail. We're here to get these people help. And I think that's the first step. I know, I I know drug addicts that would love help, but they're afraid to ask for help because they don't want to get thrown in jail. Exactly. And so they're like, I don't know how to get help. Yeah. I mean, when we work in the ER, this, the drug thing is a big issue with the, the police and how they bring people in and, you know, the attitudes of, mm-hmm. of drug use, street drug use, and how that's treated in the system. Mm. Definitely open to discussion about decriminalizing, yeah. like everything, from a medical standpoint. And we might have to get into that on other episodes too, you know, but... Uh... Well, and hopefully they'll... What I don't think people realize either is that this industry has a lot to offer. You right? sure? There are a lot of jobs out there. There are a lot of opportunities there's some groundbreaking work happening with places that are discovering new strains and making new patents and discover doing the research and figuring out how do we make it better? How do we make it better for people? You know, in the transportation piece of it, the manufacturing piece of it, the extraction piece of it, this is a multi-million dollar industry that is going to provide a lot of opportunities for people to do some work that they really enjoy. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you might even go into multi-trillion, right? billion, something like I that. I mean, so. there's, I mean, there's I a lot more money than a... people even realize. Kind of like when we were, we've talked on other podcasts where a lot of these growers and stuff are coming out of the shadows because right. you don't realize everybody out there. But I, I have to admit, I didn't realize it was so much work, uh, but a friend of mine and I went down to Blanding, gosh, a couple months ago now, and we actually helped harvest hemp. Yeah. And I had in my mind, I was like, well, there must be a machine <laughs> that does that, right? <laughs> um, surely I don't have to do much. I'll just put it in the machine. Sure. Um, that's not that's not the case. Um, Some hard work. It's hard work. And yeah. the pride that comes with taking this big bushy plant and trimming it down to a nice bud that, that you can sell and that you can be proud of. I don't think people realize that. I think people think, oh, it's still some guy, you know, out by the landfill in his little covert farm that's, you know, going out <laughs> right at night. And, yeah. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Right. You're putting them out in the moonlight so they so they flower. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. not like that anymore. But it is it is a lot of work, a lot of labor to to harvest these things. And the dereg or the decriminalization and the interstate regulation would would allow people to come up with ways right right to do that better it makes the it makes the industry better right if i have a grow here and it's very arid and someone in arizona is like well how'd you do that well i should be able to share that information right, right? because it makes the industry better yep absolutely how can listeners get a hold of you to if they want to work with you at all like your website where do you practice law out of here in in utah i have an office in south jordan uh-huh. um but I like said I've been to Blanding. Um, I'll I drive all over. Okay. Um, I have a Facebook page. Okay. So it's Utah Cannabis Advocates, but the way that you find it is UT Green Advocates. Okay. Um, that's also my Instagram page. Um, my phone number. I'll get. I'm happy to get my phone number out that you can um, call on is eight zero one seven five zero eight three two zero. Um, my kids keep joking with me, and and I'm not to that point yet. But my kids tell me, Mom, you need a marijuana hotline. Which I thought was genius. The marijuana so, hotline. Yes. Yeah, so the marijuana legal hotline. Hopefully, coming soon, the marijuana legal ho- hotline that will not be manned by my children. But <laughs> I have to give them credit for that because that was their idea. It's a great idea. Yeah. That's awesome. Was there anything else? I mean, I feel like we could talk to you all night. I don't want to hold you up here. I mean, was there anything else that you were hoping we would talk about on this episode that you wanted to get out there to the people and, and uh, why we have an opportunity to. The microphones are hot. Was there anything you wanted to share? Um, just I think you need to be proactive. So mm-hmm. in any business, you know, have a good business plan. Find out where the pitfalls are. Seek legal counsel, whether it's me or somebody else, um, because there are a lot of regulations even in marketing. That's one of the things we didn't talk about. There are so many you can't do that in in marketing, um, but there are ways that you can market your business. So yeah. you know, seek those out and make those relationships. Um, like we talked about the the person that introduced me to you. Mm-hmm. Make those relationships. Go to those events, even though it's hard right now to do them. 
If there's an outdoor event, go to it. Make those relationships because right now the community, I think, is small enough that people, everybody knows everybody. And that's a good thing, right? Because you're putting that face to the name and you realizing, oh, that person does that. That person does that. If you don't know what you need, inevitably someone in that space can say, oh, you need to call Don um, or you need to call somebody else. So make those relationships, count on other people and ask tons and tons of questions. I love it. Oh, this has been great, Don. Anything else you want to ask her coming. before we let her go? I too? mean, I have a ton of legal questions, but we always do. So, <laughs> so we'll have to bring people back around. You know, bring you back around and heck yeah, and talk more about how the law changes, especially in the spring when we have the uh, legislature in session and we're working on you know moving this process forward again. And Thank if, you so it, much for having me. It, absolutely, and if there's ever anything that you feel like our listeners would like to, I mean, please reach out to Tim yeah, or myself. Absolutely. I mean, you always have a seat here on the podcast. So thank you. you. Know, thank oh, you so oh, much. You're I very, appreciate very it. welcome. Very welcome. This has it's, been it's great. Been... Utah cannabis advocates. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to, to see how business flourishes in yeah. this space now. How can listeners get a hold of you, Tim? Uh, UtahMarijuana.org is the easiest place to find information. You can find all of our podcasts there. We do a, a, a summary article of the podcast so you can sort through the, the topics that people uh-huh. want to hear. Uh, now that we're a little bit closer with the release of this episode, I want to re-mention on the 21st, the uh, a video, a little education video series that I'm doing is being uh, released, Discover Marijuana with Tim and Blake. Uh, some education about the science of cannabis and how that works, how that helps people medically. Where, um, where is that video going to be at? Is that, that video, the videos will all be on utahmarijuana.org. Okay. Um, and, and I'll share those and with we'll Utah share, and the weeds too and, and all that. You know? Yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll put those on all of our social channels and we'll have links to those. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited about that. No, I'm, I'm excited to check that out. And you could check out my other podcast. I am Salt Lake podcast. I am saltlake.com. Uh, just chatting with anybody and everybody doing cool things in Salt Lake City, business owners, artists, musicians. And you've been talking to a lot of uh, local restaurant owners yeah. because really they need they need the support. Right now they need the support. I mean, a lot of people are reaching out uh, for other things. I'm saying, you know what, let's hit, hit me up after the new year uh, because I want to kind of support the people that need it. Right. Uh, the, the local uh, foodies. So to say, yeah. I think they're struggling the most. Have you been to Grinders Thirteen by chance, a sandwich shop in Salt Lake? Uh, yes, but it's been a long time. I'm gonna, I'll go there this week because I was gonna say we just, just because we just talked it. to the owner of that, and it's such a fascinating story to get into Utah history and to kind of find out, you know, how that started, and then to find out a little mom and pop joint like that that's struggling. Oh man. Anyway, we don't need to get into that. We're going to make everybody hungry here. Anyway, Don, anything else? I mean, again, reach out to have our listeners reach out to you. Anything more you want to add? Or, I mean, I keep saying that, I guess it's, <laughs> no, like, I mean, I it's, it's true. I mean, we could probably talk about, you know, yeah. anything for four or five more hours. I, yeah. I, it is such an intriguing subject and there's it. so many new things to learn. So yeah, yeah I'll, I'll just come back. Thank you again. Okay, Don. Everybody stay safe out there.